This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to NL Interviews. Hello and welcome to News Laundry. We have with us today uh, a very uh, celebrated columnist and author, Vivek Kaul. Uh, Vivek writes regularly uh, weekly columns for Equity Master as well as for a host of other publications, principally on um, the economy and the economic condition of India, which is what we're going to talk to him about today. Uh, plus, he's also an author. Uh, previously, he's written a trilogy called Easy Money, and I was uh, one of the fortunate ones to have reviewed it. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about uh, with Vivek about his new book called India's Big Government. And as you can see, through the width of it, <laughs> big by name, big by nature, yeah. um, it's a pretty fat book. Uh, but it is an absolutely astonishing account. If I can say it uh, starts off um, as a romance and ends as a tragedy. Vivek, welcome to News Laundry. Thanks, uh, Anand, for having me over. So, yeah. so uh, let me begin by saying, um, did, you, uh, did you make sure that the size of this book is going to be as, as big as the name suggests? No, I, actually, you know, what happened was uh, I was supposed to write a book on real estate. Uh, which somehow never uh, got going. And then I just started this uh, sort of, I thought it will be a quickie, uh, I mean, you know, and initially there were supposed to be some five, six chapters in it. And it was probably one third or one fourth of what uh, you know, it ultimately turned out to be. But as I started writing, I realized, uh, you know, the gravity and the breadth of the topic that I had taken on, I mean, and then, you know, when you start digging, uh, the, the, the book kept uh, getting fatter and fatter and fatter. So, so yeah, that's I mean, how it what, I, what I found, I mean, when I went through it, and it took me days, if not a week or more than that. Um, but I, I made a conscious effort not to hurry through it. And the reason for that is that you start off, um, I, I don't know whether it's a, a, a writer's thing or something, quite optimistic. But the ending and, you know, the middle and from there, you kind of, I don't know whether it was conscious or not. You no, it, it lost wasn't. Your optimism uh, towards. Uh, uh, I don't think it was conscious. Mm -hmm. It was probably, you know, as uh, you know, I, I kept writing. I sort of. Uh, so that's the question. How, how long did it take for you to write this book? Because it kind of mirrors the economic progress or the lack thereof that we see in our country. Uh, so I mean, putting this book together mm -hmm. took me around nine months. Okay. But a lot of the material that is there in the book. Uh, was not freshly written. Right. So around 30-35% of the material I sort of took uh, from my columns and you know. Uh, and uh, other than that, it took around 9 to 10 months to write it end to end, including the editing part. But I mean, I'm very fortunate that I have a great editor. So right. otherwise it would have easily taken around 18 months. And the other thing to note is that uh, it has been magnificently uh, Illustrated. Illustrated yeah. by Manjul. Yes, I mean, thanks to is, him. I mean, he's a yes, dear friend. And, yes, so it's And, uh, it's and you wouldn't believe thing. it. I mean, he, he made all these cartoons in less than 48 hours. So. Did he? Oh, yeah. my God. But, yeah. Other than the, I mean, the covers also by right. him. Right, that's so right. The cover took more. Yeah. So let's begin, Vivek, because we have a, uh, quite a lot to cover yeah, through. Sure, sure. Uh, what essentially do you mean by uh, big government? Because let, let me just give the example of America. I mean, may not have as many ministries as we do, but a hell of a lot of people working for the federal government. So when you say India has a big government, what exactly do you mean? I mean so this is, uh, you know, the, the first thing that needs to be clarified here is by big government, I do not mean a lot of people working for the government. Right. Because if you uh, look at uh, the Indian case, uh, the the ratio, the number of employees working for the central government to the total population is 1 is to 668. Whereas in the American case, it is 1 is to 139. So clearly, many more people are working for the, uh, you know, American government as a proportion of the population. Uh, in, and, uh, you know, in an Indian case, uh, uh, when you look at the central government, you also need to take uh, into account the fact that uh, the paramilitary forces, uh, uh, which is a huge number of people, also work for the central government. They come under the Ministry of Home Affairs. Right. Uh, then there is the Department of Post. So if you take these uh, individuals out, the number of people working for the Indian government is not uh, very huge. Particularly when you uh, take into account the ratio, as yes, you did. Yes. And uh, if you look at uh, the central public center, uh, sector enterprises, the uh, employment has been falling. I mean, it has fallen from around 16 lakhs in 2005 to around 12 lakhs 2000 in 2015-16. 
the state government employment is close to around 72 lakhs but this is uh, uh, this figure is from 2011-12 and it hasn't been uh, you know a new number hasn't come since then uh, so yes, so number of people working for the government is not uh, what I mean by big government. What I mean so by... So roughly, we would say, sorry to interrupt, uh, would be about so one, are, one crore uh, people would be employed? Uh, by the State government. and central? Uh, a little more than that. Yeah. A little more than that. So uh, for a population of around 130 crores, so which isn't... Uh, very big if you come but i mean if you if you look at the population that is the working population not just the you know children and women ha, so and, working know. population uh, it would probably be uh, you know if you assume a working population of around uh, 65 70% that would be close to around 80 crore right so 1 crore out of 80 yeah. crore so you can do the 1.5% yeah. probably is yeah. the right so, which isn't a very huge So number. what do you mean when you say big government? So, uh, you know, there is, uh, I mean, uh, there are multiple points which go, uh, which essentially define big government. And uh, so I'll raise what I think are, uh, you know, the two most important. Uh, the first point of big government is, uh, you know, the government is in two areas which it shouldn't be, and it is not in areas in which it should be. Uh, so topically, okay, let me hold you right there. Uh -huh. You mean to say that in India there are areas in which government should be there? Uh, yes. Can you name those areas? Yeah, I'll, but let me first okay. explain so, yeah. you know, where it shouldn't be. So then I'll That's come, come as a shock, uh -huh. but anyway. Yeah. So, so, you know, if you look at, uh, I mean, the best example right now uh, is since it's topical is Air India. Mm -hmm. There is no reason for a government to be running an airline in this day and age. Okay. Now, what has Air India done? Uh, in the last, if you look at, uh, uh, you know, from 2010-11, they have losses of close to 40,000 crore, okay? Now, these losses are obviously being financed uh, by the government. Right. Now, every, by us, basically. By us, yeah. by, by the taxpayer. And every rupee that goes into Air India obviously gets taken away from something else which is probably more uh, important. Loan waiver. <laughs> uh, we'll come to that. Yeah. So, anyway, so uh, so my point is, why should the government be operating, you know, an airline in this day and age? And why just an airline? I mean, the government in India makes condoms. Mm -hmm. uh, close to where I live, there is something known in Bombay, in Mumbai, uh, is something known as the Bicycle Corporation yes. of India. Yes, you wrote a piece. Yeah, about I mean, yeah. there is then. I know recently I wrote a piece on uh, this company called Hindustan Photo Films Manufacturing yeah. Company, uh, which is a weird example wherein you know you have around 218 people working for the company, and it had uh, in 2015-16 the losses were greater than 2,500 crore. Yeah. So which means you know the loss per employee is around 11.65 crore. I mean this is bizarre. Yeah. Wherein you know all this money can be better spent. So what happens in cases of these you know companies like Air India and Hindustan Photo Films, which I mean I, I don't know if you remember they used to make these Hindu yes uh, Hindu films films yeah, once yeah. upon a time. Yes. So they uh, uh, you know uh, they don't make money. So what they do is in order to survive they have to take on more and more debt. Uh, so in case of Hindustan photo films, the debt is close to 23,000 crores and 23,000 crores, that's about 5 billion, 4 billion dollars. In case of Air India, it's, it's close to 52,000 crore and, uh, and the company is still going on. I mean an interesting comparison to Air India is Kingfisher, you know, the moment it got into yeah. trouble, it had to unravel and stop its operations within one year. But Air India, since it has the support of the taxpayer, yeah. keeps going on and on and on. Yeah. So, and now they have reached a stage wherein even if they try to sell it, I'm not sure whether uh, they'll find a buyer. Distress yeah. sale or something. So, I mean, uh, the, the reason why I wanted to concentrate on, I mean, the, the simplest of questions, the first up was that uh, how much of when you say India's big government, you're actually talking metaphorically? Uh, yeah, I mean, to the sense that there is, I mean, basically there is you're no definition of, uh, of of the term big government, and I mean, I have sort of uh, made up or you know come up with a definition of big government. So yes, it is. Uh, I mean, in other words, uh, if let us say, I mean, assuming this is a completely hypothetical thing, and mm. um, it has it, it has been shown, amply shown that it it can never be possible, but if uh, public sector enterprises were as efficient as private sector enterprises, would you have a problem with 
India's big government? No, so so there is uh, so you know as I said, there are multiple points which go into the definition of big government. So it's not just about the government operating public sector enterprises. See, the other point that I make is uh, uh, you know about how uh, you know when whenever a government tries to do something, it uh, tries to do it at you know, uh, theoretically, it tries to do it at its best possible level. I mean, you know, what we, in, in, in simple terms, would say perfect is the enemy of the good. Right. Okay? So, uh, when they are designing a plan to implement, uh, so it's, it's I, like First an, of all, I hate that phrase. Okay. That's like a, a get out clause, you know. Wh which phrase? Perfect is the enemy I, of okay. good. So, uh, I mean, <laughs> I, but that's, you know, cliches at times are necessary because they explain the thing yeah. in the best possible way. That is why they are cliches, right. you know. So. Yeah. So anyway, so you know the, the way to look at it is, uh, you know, it's it's like an inverted funnel. When when a government is designing a plan, it has access to all the resources. You know, at the central level, you have uh, you know ministries which have bureaucrats. They have access to experts. They have access to research, mm -hmm. and they design a plan. But by the time it comes to you know implementation, you have the same set of guys in the lower level bureaucracy working for the state governments who have to implement that plan. Right. So I mean I, I, I mean I don't remember whether it was this economic survey or the last one which said that there are 900 cent, uh, you know uh, schemes sponsored by the central government. Now imagine the guy who has to implement. Uh, those schemes. Right. So, well, we have a ministry called Ministry of Statistics and Program oh, Implementation. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I know. So, but then, <laughs> <laughs> so that is, uh, so they don't implement programs. Mm. They just check out whether programs are being implemented, so, right. which is a different thing. Yes, of course. Yeah. Or how well the programs are yeah. being implemented. And the other thing that came out from your book was that not many people know this, but in 1951, we yes. had only five PSEs. Yeah, so this so, is uh, very, very, I mean, even I was uh, sort of uh, surprised. Uh, so there's this gentleman called Vijendra Tripathi, mm -hmm. who used to be a professor of business history at uh, the IIM in Ahmedabad. And he wrote this brilliant book many, many years back called, uh, which was titled The Oxford History of Indian Business. And while, you know, uh, I mean, I had read that book many years back and forgotten about it. And recently when I started rereading it, I came across this, Point and I was very surprised because you know generally the tendency in India is to uh, you know blame the British uh, for the lot of uh, the way we have evolved over the years right. and which is true also in many many areas but at least when it comes to the mess in public sector enterprises that wasn't handed to us uh, by the British. So are you saying Nehru isn't responsible? For uh, so that the answer, uh, the long answer, take, the take short answer is the, no, the short answer <laughs> is yes and the long answer is no. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, uh, obviously Nehru is responsible for it because uh, he uh, started the focus on, uh, you know, development through public sector enterprises. And Nehru, along with a gentleman called uh, P.C. Mahalanobis, mm -hmm. who was the honorary statistical yeah. advisor to the government of India and who had a huge role to play in the second five-year plan. You know, after the second five-year plan uh, sort of... Uh, came to the fore, the uh, setting up of public sector enterprises uh, started. So that's one part. You also need to uh, take into account the fact that uh, India was coming out of 200 years of colonial rule. So uh, it wasn't surprising that the government of the day wanted to do a lot of it itself and not be dependent on uh, you know, foreign capital. Mm -hmm. uh, the third point uh, here is that uh, uh, you know, when uh, Nehru became the Prime Minister, uh, socialism was the in thing. In fact, you know, uh, there is a very interesting... Was it or was it just Nehru that actually was... Uh, no, I'll, so I'll give you a very interesting example here. Uh, Paul Samuelson, who, you know, is uh, was the first American economist to get a Nobel Prize, in the late 40s uh, wrote a textbook on economics, which became, you know, the biggest selling economic textbook of all time. And in every edition of the book, he would have a year by which he expected the size of the Soviet economy to become bigger than the American economy. So the Americans were equally sold on you know, the Soviet economy and the five-year plans. Obviously, you know, there was nothing in it. Data was being right. fudged at the end of the day. So Nehru fell for it uh, initially. 
Then you also have to take into account the fact that in 1944, the biggest Indian private entrepreneurs got together to come up with something known as the Bombay Plan, mm -hmm. in which they said that you know, in, as and when independence comes, uh, the government will have to play a major role in economic development, and the private sector will have to take a backseat. So Nehru was responsible for it. There is no denying it. But having said that, the major push uh, towards public sector enterprises came only once Indira Gandhi yeah. came uh, into the picture. And after 1969, 131 public sector enterprises were set up. And this is when you know the government got into everything. In fact, I mean, I remember as a kid in the late 80s, we used to even have a soft drink called Double Seven, which yes. was produced. By the government, it was a private. It was a public sector. I didn't know that. that was it, it, was. it was set up after George Fernandez kicked out, kicked out uh, Coca, -Cola Coca Cola from India. Yeah. I knew there was Campa Cola, but I didn't know. So you know, there's another thing that I want to uh, clear with you, which is that whenever I talk of public sector, is absolutely uh, scientifically untenable. Uh, uh, you know, and also um, it's just ridiculous. People say, well, there are profit-making uh, PSUs. Now my theory is that. Okay, uh, PSU like Navratnas, you know, you can have, you can no, make profit, so, but how do you know if it was privatized, it would be making 100 times no, as so, much profit? So the way to look at it is, yeah. so you, you look at... Uh, so is a, uh, is, is a uh, profit-making PSU acceptable to you, yes or no? No, so profit-making at what cost? Mm -hmm. So what you do is you look at the return on capital employed. Right. And, uh, you know, every uh, year the, the Ministry of Public Sector Enterprises uh, produces an annual survey and in which they have a graph and the graph has uh, you know uh, some map something known as return on capital employed mm -hmm. and you will see that the return on capital employed of PSUs uh, since 2004-2005 has been falling I mean it used to be close to 12% now it's close to 5% right. so which basically means that if the government you know the capital that it has put into it into the public sector business yeah. where to put that money into fixed deposits they would make more money. Yeah. So at the end of the day, net net, public sector enterprises are not making uh, enough. Prop, yeah. they, they don't uh, justify. So this, the, this is basically a misnomer. I mean, saying it's a uh, you know, don't touch Navratnas because they're profit making. So, but see, you know, which are the most profit making enterprises if you look at it? I mean, I'll give you a couple of uh, examples. One is Coal India. Yeah. Okay. My father worked in Coal India. My grandfather also worked in Coal India. So if you look at Coal India, uh, now Coal India is not one company, there are some you know, seven, eight subsidiaries each. One does not produce coal, the rest of them produce coal. Uh, so if you look at uh, a couple of companies, one is called Northern Coal Fields Limited, the other is Mahanadi Coal Fields Limited. Their operating margins are magnificent. I mean, the last time I uh, kind of checked their operating margins, they were anywhere between 35 to 40%. Now, why is that the case? Because coal, uh, can only be sort of dug up by public sector yeah. company, which is basically Coal India. I mean, private sector also can uh, dig up coal, but that is only if they're consuming it themselves. Right. They cannot produce and sell it. So if you look at a lot of these companies, profitable, captive, basically, right? they, are basi they basically uh, have a monopoly in mm -hmm. the business that they are. Yeah. So it's as simple. See, you look at all, you know, in 1991, many sectors were opened up for private competition. So look at the two biggest sectors. Look at banking and look at telecom. Now, that gives you, uh, you know, a clear picture of how well the private sector has done. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, the recent mess in telecom notwithstanding. No, yeah, exactly. Uh, but there that. are other reasons mm -hmm. for that. And how well the private banks have done. So there is absolutely no uh, convincing argument for having a public sector unit. No, I mean, as far as I uh, go, no. I mean, see, the basic problem is that, you know, what happens in a public sector unit? Uh, there is separation of knowledge and power. You know, take, take the case of the mess in the banking industry, you know, as it prevails right now. Uh, loans have been given to a lot of people, to a lot of corporates, who are not, uh, you know, repaying them. Now, I refuse to believe that the public sector guy commissioning those loans mm -hmm. did not have the knowledge that this guy would either not repay or two, he had pumped up his, uh, you know, costs and he was likely to siphon off a lot of money. I mean, it's very difficult to believe, mm -hmm. okay? Now, obviously he knew, but he also knew that if he wouldn't commission the loan, uh, the crony capitalist right. would get him transferred to you know, some place Which in the what, Northeast yeah. 
where I mean, and this is not to say that you know Northeast is not a great place, but this is typically how an average Indian yeah. tends to think. So and he, we know, I mean, during the emergency, even before that, Sanjay Gandhi used to actually, yeah. So you, so what happens is in the public sector, people have the knowledge, but they don't have the power to make mm -hmm. that decision. Now, Jaggi suggested something quite interesting, okay. uh, which garnered a lot of controversy. He said that uh, maybe one stopgap solution towards eradicating the public sector units was to have these uh, management uh, uh, buyouts. Yes. Yeah, or, or you know, you'll have some external managers who would manage that. You know, things would go on in the 70s. Uh, he said we would have an independent uh, managing agencies. That that was the, uh -huh. the term that he See, used. See, the, the problem there. Can that really work? The I problem mean, that, there is, I mean, look at a company like Air India. Okay, now you might get an. I mean, you might. In fact, it it's been tried before at Air India, wherein you can get a professional manager. Right. But ultimately, you know, the people down the line. Yeah. tend to remain the same. I mean, you can't replace the entire uh, company. The only way of replacing the entire company is to privatize it. So, Niti has asked for the privatization of, Niti Ayog has asked for privatization of Air India. Do you think if the government does not listen to it, uh, Niti Ayog chairman should resign? Like you had Elon Musk resigning from? No, I mean, why would, why would he do that? I mean, he has a cushy job. Right. And he's relevant here, so. So, that, that's the question. When you suggest something, and the government turns a blind eye, what is to be done? No, but see, the point is, you know, people who are and in it this... Takes, it takes a long, sorry to interrupt, it takes a long time for one to understand that the government is least bothered about, I mean, as, uh, you know, Narendra Modi's slogan was, the government has no business to be in business. And then now suddenly we find that the only business of the government is, is to be in business. Is to be in business. Uh, there is no, there is zero accountability. And then you understand and, I mean, I take you back to a recent example where the government celebrated three years of the, the in Modi fact, there government. Is some, there is some they survey. They held a function in Ashok Hotel. Uh, I mean, there is some survey going around today which says that the biggest brands in India are now all government brands. Is that right? <laughs> so, so who is, is in, in, a, <clears throat> in a country where you cannot hold people accountable, what is the solution? Should it just carry on? Because, you know... Uh... I mean, obviously carrying on is not the right thing. But, you know, having said that, I mean, this is just to clarify the Arvind Panagaria point. Yeah. Now, you know, people who are in positions where they have to give ideas, I mean, their job is to give ideas. There is not much more they can do beyond that. And as long as they're giving good ideas, even if they're not implemented, I think they should continue to give good ideas because there are, you know, there is some chance that maybe somewhere, some, ha, someone might be, yeah. listen to them. Mm -hmm. So. That is uh, extremely important, uh, which is true about uh, the chief economic advisor, you know, Arvind Subramaniam as well. I mean, if you, I mean, if you if you've read the economic survey uh, carefully, he, I think he was one of the few people who actually criticized uh, demonetization, though he didn't do it directly yeah, in a very roundabout, so, yeah. safe way. But I mean, at least kudos to him for sort of saying as much as he did. Uh, what was your last question? I forgot. No, it was uh, what is what is the solution when it's you don't have when you have zero accountability? I mean, everyone knows the examples in I mean about Air India, about um, uh, you know the hotels and all those all sorts of things. Uh, you talked about the uh, the National Cycle. Uh, I don't know what the Bicycle Corporation. Bi Bicycle Corporation. There was HMT. I don't know whether it's been uh, disbanded or not. Um, these things go on. I mean, it's not. You know, people were criticizing the, you know, the Congress government and Indra. You can criticize Indra Gandhi and Nehru for starting this and continuing with this, but at some point or the it other, it has to stop. It has to stop. No, okay, the so point is, it doesn't stop. stop. So you know what I'll do is I'll read out something please, please, the, yeah. which Narsimha Rao of all the people said in the late 90s. Let me see if I can in the early 90s, not in the late 90s. If I if I can find it. So this was something that Rao said sometime at the 79th Congress plenary at Tirupati in 1992. This was immediately after the, the economic reforms. Economic reforms. Yeah. And he said, uh, we have invested over 1 lakh crore of rupees in the public sector so far. Mm -hmm. The returns therefrom on the whole have been very meager. All this is the people's money, no one else's. The present situation is that the government can no longer collect any more money from the people for further fresh investment in the public sector. Okay. No, this is what he's This saying. is 25 years back yeah. and you know much more money has been collected since then. Then he goes on to say, what exactly is the public sector? It is in fact a sector owned by the state run with the money belonging to the people. The profits and losses of the public sector therefore are the profits and losses of the people. 
Now this is one part. The other part is, which is again something that you know I, I discuss in my book and which Rao says very, very clearly. At the moment, the state has overstretched its meager resources and is seeking to do many things at the same time. As a result, it is unable to do anything adequately. Now, these are extremely profound words which have been said, you know, more or less 25 years back. Uh, but up until now, nobody has really paid. Uh, and if you add what Rajiv Gandhi said about famously, or infamously about, you know, 15 paisa for every rupee. Uh, which is... The point is, people can keep on saying these things. Nothing changes. So, yeah, I mean, which is the whole thing, you know, ultimately, uh, I mean, either, uh, you know, people don't understand these things or, uh, you know, every time a new leader comes along, they feel that, you know, this is the guy who will bring in change. Because, you know, see, inherently, uh, you know, in, if you have to survive in a country like India, you cannot be pessimistic. Yeah. Right. So. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if. Now, yeah. the, now the other myth, I, I would call it myth that has been demolished was that many people were saying that Modi is pro-development. Mm. And uh, of course, you know, his, his coming uh, in 2014 had a lot to do with anti-incumbency as well. I mean, the UPA was a disaster. In inflation. But many people said Modi would not outright sell the PSUs. He would first make them profitable, like he's been doing in Gujarat, and oh. then sell them. Now, obviously, that is a myth, because that hasn't happened at all. In fact, if you look at NDA1s, uh, uh, NDA one, uh, 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 you know, the deregulation or whatever you may call it, disinvestment thing, it was much, much more than uh, NDA twos. In fact, NDA twos is only uh, uh, disinvestment in the shares. And you were talking about Coal India. I mean, you know, so they sold Coal India shares and who bought it? LIC. Oh, so, you know, uh, all this perfidy is going on. So that's something that I guess, uh, you know, NDA two has learned from Peach Dambaram who <laughs> sort of started it. <laughs> And, and I mean, genuine disinvestment, what, what the government uh, calls strategic uh, yeah. you know, sale, was happened only was the under Arun yeah. I mean, yeah. when he sold off uh, you know, modern yeah. beds and yeah. you know, all the these hotel. hotels. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and he faced so much uh, you know, resistance in doing so. So basically, you know, the point, I guess, is that nobody wants to sort of take panga against uh, the trade union. So, if, so I mean, I'll give you the example of um, you know, Hindustan photo films. It's a very interesting uh, story in itself because every year employees retire. Okay, so if you look at the chart, I get a feeling they are just waiting uh, for all the employees to retire so that they can right. shut down the company. Yeah. Now the point is, you know, there are just 218 people. Yeah, you know, if you cannot tackle 218 people, how will you? Tackle how are you running a nation? Yeah. So, and this is true not only for Narendra Modi; it's also true for, you know, people who ran governments. Now you see him, one so. thing that came out very. Uh, uh, clearly in your book is how nicely you tie it with the the other gargantuan problem we are going to face, which is jobs. Now, when you cannot, uh, uh, you know, uh, relieve 218 people who are sitting on a job, who, who are taking the money, taxpayers' money, how on earth are you going to give employment, as you say, to about one crore new people wanting jobs in India? Explain that to me. So, uh, you I mean, know, this uh, is something on I, the face of it, I would say that's criminal. Yes. In fact, I mean, so, you know, when, when I started uh, sort of writing about jobs around one, one and a half years back, I mean, I used to get, uh, you know, a lot of uh, heat on the social media now. But now, one and a half years later, everybody is talking about jobs. In fact, Mr. Modi is supposed to have a discussion on jobs this Sunday. I mean, there's a brief item in the Times of India today. So, uh, you know, to just to give you some background, you know, there are various uh, you know, estimates which are made and most of these estimates suggest that anywhere around 12 to 15 million individuals are entering the workforce every year in India, so which basically means 1 million a month if we were to take a ballpark uh, figure. So 1 million Indians are entering the workforce every month. Now, uh, there is a very interesting uh, you know, uh, assumption behind this estimate and the assumption is that uh, uh, when they came up, when you know, when when this number is calculated, it is assumed that uh, you know women will continue to enter the workforce at the same rate as they are now. Mm -hmm. Now, which is a very, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say stupid, but it's a very weak assumption because world over it has been seen, you know, as women get educated and you know the country progresses, more and more uh, women enter the right. workforce. So this one uh, million per month number may turn out to be a massive. Uh, Underestimation. That's one point. 
the second point uh, here is that uh, you know what has happened is that between 2005 and 2015 we have had around i mean and this is an estimate uh, which has been uh, made uh, around 10 crore people who have uh, gone through you know india's education system and who can barely read write or uh, do some basic math so uh, you know uh, so they are in in that sense totally unemployable right now if you need to employ employ those people you need jobs at the low end mm-hmm. you need low skilled jobs Manrega kind of a no Manrega is a dole. Hmm. I'm talking about. No, I mean, I meant was the kind of jobs that Manrega encourages. Uh, not really. Manrega is a dole. I mean, let's not okay. go there. I mean, it's not so. Uh, I mean, so uh, you need. So basically, you know, when people uh, move from agriculture, let's say, I mean, to construction. Hmm. Uh, sorry, to any other job, they tend to move toward jobs towards construction, low-end jobs in construction. but right now the problem is that companies are not expanding because they are uh, you know over leveraged uh, the government is carrying out a lot of construction programs but the government at the end of the day has a limitation of the amount of money it can spend and uh, the real estate uh, sector is in a limbo now if these jobs are to be created for you know the low end the low skilled people you need the real estate sector to start yeah. uh, you know working itself uh, up again and that will only happen once the prices come down to a level wherein people can actually afford to you know but did they after demonetization i mean there has been some impact mm-hmm. but it still needs to right. come down a lot the other point i wanted to make was and this is you know something that gets uh, thrown back at me you know often so i think you know i i needs to cl- uh, clarify it is that you know people tend to suggest that the rate of unemployment in india is just 5% mm-hmm. now 5% unemployment is like you know yeah, brilliant you know 95% yeah. people are working yeah. so what is the problem yeah. you know now the problem again is you know if you look at the way this unemployment is measured mm-hmm. it is extremely flawed mm-hmm. so there are two methods you know in one method what they do is this uh, you know they see how many people uh, were working for 183 or more days in the past one year mm-hmm. okay so you could have been not working for 182 days right. and still be employed mm-hmm. okay in the books of the government the other method is you know even better where it says that if you were working for 30 or more days in the past one year you are categorized as employed so as per the first method the rate of unemployment is 5% as per the second method the rate of unemployment is just 3.7% right so uh, now in fact the people who do these surveys the labor bureau comes up with another data which is most important but which never gets cited anywhere and uh, which is that how many people looking for a job for 12 months in a year get a job for 12 months in a year and that ratio or that percentage is only 60% uh, it is 82% in urban india and around 52 53% in rural india so half of rural india doesn't have a job all through the year so That's india's prom- problem is ha is not unemployment it is extreme underemployment or what is known as disguised unemployment in agriculture now there are three questions i want to ask oh, before oh, i Arriba. forget all three of them <laughs> one was uh, i recently i mean a, a recent phrase was introduced to me by professor vivek debroy uh, called voluntary unemployment uh-huh. what the hell does that mean <laughs> okay so i i don't know i mean in what context he he used it yeah. but what i think what that basically means is that people opting out of employment yes. so i can you know what happens is and he said it's growing ha it's growing so what you know i can give you uh, an example in the us american context so america has six rates of unemployment okay uh, and each one of them has, has its own definition so uh, there the rate of uh, unemployment has been coming down dramatically since 2009 2010 when it peaked but what is also happening is that a lot of people who have been looking for jobs and have not been able to find jobs are opting out of the workforce so when your denominator is falling you know the total labor force is falling you know when your denominator is falling that leads to the rate of unemployment coming down as well so right so which i think was the context in which Maybe professor debroy used it so. and the other thing which is directly related to i mean the jobs or the lack of it the, the controversy was that i recently um, heard uh, amitabh kant who is the ceo of niti aayog and he was uh, asked a question i think by shekhar gupta in his um, uh, <coughs> uh, in his interview 
uh, that, and in fact, a lot of people have also written that, you know, where are the jobs, where are the jobs? And he said, I do not trust the labor board numbers. Look at, uh, because uh, those are 2014, 2015 numbers, and they're very erroneous. Uh, we will know the exact number or the truer picture of the number of uh, people employed in India only by end 2018. What we are going by presently is the number of mudra loans that we have given. Oh, and that's a very uh, so, shady way of uh, explain that to me. I mean, uh, how is uh, that shady when they say when the government is saying that we have dispersed seven crores? See, what uh, they do I mean, is they assume that seven you know, crore people. Uh -huh. so these many you know people have got loans, yeah, got and loans. so because these many people have got loans, that means they, they have created be, these many jobs. Yeah. I mean, this is. I mean, but what do you find wrong in that? No, I mean, where is the survey? Where is the? It is just someone sitting in a room and coming up with a number. Yeah, I mean, how do you believe something like that? But I mean, let's uh, let's play a devil's advocate in the sense. Uh, I mean, for the government here, let's say seven crore people have been given loans to start their businesses. Mm. Um, out of uh, out of seven crores, what would be your estimate as to the number of employment that they have generated? Difficult to say. I cannot. Uh, so you'd rather believe on 2014 labor numbers so than this? That I mean, the, you know, there's, there's no, a dilemma so I, I'll, here. I'll tell you something. Yeah. There are two things. You know, when when I don't know what Amitabh mm -hmm. Khan talked about, the number, the labor bureau numbers that I was referring to is not the quarterly survey that they carry out, which is suspect. Mm -hmm. Which I also agree with him. You know, when they say 20,000 jobs went yeah. down or yeah. one lakh jobs went mm -hmm. up, it's a very small sample, mm -hmm. limited to eight sectors. So that part, I agree with mm -hmm. him. But what I was referring to is an annual survey which they carried out, and in which case the sample size is quite large. But and he, from he did not believe, if I'm not mistaken, even the annual survey, he was saying the results, I mean, the, the survey that he would believe, rather believe in, would the results would come out in 2018. So clearly he's, he's not... Uh, I mean, if know, the government doesn't buy its own numbers, there is nothing you, know, you and me can do so about that, it. That's, so that's the question. So in fact, On so one now hand, we have this uh -huh. labor survey which the government is not believing. And on the other hand, we have the government saying we have dispersed loans to seven crore people out of a working population. So that's pretty good, actually. I would say if the working population is 60 crores, so 10%. 10%, yeah. Okay. Uh, which the public is not believing. So no, I mean, so my the government thing is, is not believing the public. No, my, my thing is you cannot just, you know, kind of assume, you know, jobs have been created on the basis of, uh, you know, lending having been carried out. Mm -hmm. I mean, there has to be a little more method to it than just that. Right. Okay. So, uh, let me let me quote what you read, uh, what you say about um, labor reforms here. I think that's quite important. Okay. That's tight. What, what page is this? Because uh, this you know, is I may also have forgotten what I <laughs> No, it's I fresh written. because I just read it yesterday okay. night. This is 314, page 314. Okay. Um, and in fact, this is uh, intrinsically tied to you know, the discussion that we've been having here. Uh -huh. uh, you say, one reason why labor reforms have never happened in India is because of the reluctance of successive governments uh -huh. to take on the trade unions. Right. An excellent example of this is when Atal Bihari Vajpayee government tried in 2002 to change the Industrial Disputes Act. It tried to increase the limit from 100 to 1,000 workers, beyond which a firm looking to retrench or lay off workers had to approach the government for permission. Right. At the same time, it proposed to increase the severance package from the prevailing 15 days to 45 days of salary for each year worked. The trade unions opposed this mm. and it never made its way through. Mm. So we are talking of 2002. Right. Where the hell are the labor reforms, Vivek? So the labor reforms have still not happened and uh, you know, uh, an interesting uh, data point is that an average Indian um, small and medium enterprise employs uh, around 2.2 individuals, which in itself tells you that you know an average Indian business firm is very very small. Now, why is it small? It is small because the moment it has to grow big, so many of these laws and regulations. Uh, the Trade Unions Act of 1926 was modified only in 2001. Yeah. So, you know, so they need to follow so many of these rules and regulations that it just doesn't make any sense for them to scale up. And I mean, this is a point that Jagdish Bhagwati and Arvind Panagaria also make in their uh, book, India's Trist with uh, Destiny. And, uh, and you know, so that, that's that. And it's not just, uh, you know, labor reforms. I mean, in, in, there are other things uh, as well. I mean, um, you know, the national manufacturing policy uh, of 2011, in fact, uh, came up with some data which said that an average, you know, small business has to follow some hundred odd regulations. So it's just not uh, possible, you know, at any point of time, you might be breaking some law without even, um, 
realizing it. So, so can I suggest something uh, diabolical here, yeah. which is I was noticing Kerala's GDP numbers. Huh. One fourth of it is actually through remittances. Right. Maybe that's the only damn solution. So you mean you, you know, have, should all you go abroad and send back money here? Yeah. I mean, what do you think? Because no, you I mean, have zero labor reforms, mm. you have no employment policy. In fact, you have assessment which is indirect, saying that we've given, disbursed these loans. You have number of PF, PSUs that haven't gone down. There is no disinvestment, all right? On top of that, we had demonetization. Uh, um, I don't know, about, I mean, the Skill India has been disbanded. I don't know how well the make yeah, in which India is, is very. Is I think that was very, I mean, that was one of the things that I sort of really liked. Uh, in the sense that, you know, since uh, independence, the focus on, you know, uh, the government sort of create, tried to create low-end skill through the ITIs, and it failed uh, miserably. Now, in the last few years, the private sector got involved and, you know, some activity started to happen on that front. Uh, so, uh, you know, but they have scaled down, look that's Look at fine. the target, 500 million. No, but then I have, you know, I have explained that uh, in, in this book and, you know, I, I mean, I did not say that directly, but uh, the numbers looked very, very unbelievable. Because, see, you cannot see, the, the, what is the basic and problem I was actually, there? I mean, after reading this, I was trying to calculate the, the working age population of India. I mean, it's, of course, the census figures, mm -hmm. 2011, but from, uh, I think, 20 to 60, they're about 630 million Indians. Right. All right. And they they plan to skill 500 million Indians. So the, what's the, course, basic, huh, I mean, I mean, the, the basic problem there? The basic problem. So who is choosing is, these targets? Matlab, huh. So see, the targets are always this is stretched. <laughs> but I mean, this is beyond stretching. Yeah. So this is ridiculous. So, so see, the, the point is, uh, you know, the, the first point here is that somebody, you know, whoever came up with that number should have first thought that, okay, you have this number, but where the hell will we get yeah. people to train yes. those people, right? I mean, you need, and you need trainers to train those trainers of course. also. So, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, it's bizarre. I mean, the other, because we're running out of time, Vivek, so just a couple of more questions. Uh, you talked about, um, in fact, you explained why, uh, let me quote you out here, upper castes like Jats in Haryana, Patels in Gujarat, Marathas in Maharashtra and Kapus in Andhra Pradesh, they want reservations in government jobs. Yeah. Now that is another disaster waiting to happen, already happened. What the hell is going on? As it is, we have you know, very few jobs. Now if you, uh, your take on this. So, so there are you know, uh, two points. The, the first point is that you have 50% uh, of the population uh, you know, working in agriculture and they produce around 14 to 15% of the GDP. So it doesn't take rocket science to conclude that uh, you know, agriculture is no longer as right. viable a propo you know, proposition as it used to be. So you need to move people out of agriculture. Mm -hmm. The second thing that has happened is... In that fact, people want to move out of ha, agriculture. People want to move out of agriculture. It's not just I mean. the government incentivizing. So uh, the second thing that has happened over the years is that, uh, you know, as generations have gone on and uh, land has been divided, the size of the average plot on which agriculture is carried out has fallen. Okay. So in 70s, it used to be somewhere around 2.7 hectares. Now it's around, uh, as per the agriculture census of 2010-11, I mean, it's a very old number. Uh, it, use, it was around 1.16 hectares. So on those plot sizes, and this is average across India. Now if you look at states like Bihar and Kerala, the average is even lower, you know, less than 0 0.5, 0 0.6 hectares. So on, at those plot sizes, agriculture simply is not viable enough. So, you know, you had these landowning castes who probably were not farming themselves. Uh, but they were making money out of farming. But now, given the fact that this plot of you know the plot sizes have fallen so much, they are no longer they are no longer making as much money as they could. At the same time, so now they want uh, you know government jobs, and they want reservation in government jobs. The problem is that uh, the government isn't really creating any jobs. So I uh, sort of checked out uh, the numbers for the Haryana government. And very, very interestingly, the Haryana government over the last 10 years uh, has, uh, you know, every year the rate of job creation has increased by around 0.5%. <laughs> and the population has grown at around 1.8%. So what it simply means is that, uh, you know, if anywhere to think through, anywhere any of these leaders who, you know, run these agitations were to think through this properly, it just doesn't make any sense in asking for reservation which, in government jobs. Which brings me to the question because... So the diabolical thing yes. to say here is that 
what they need to ask for is reservation in private sector jobs. I was going to ask you that <laughs> because, as you know, we have this uh, uh, reigning uh, loan waivers, right? <laughs> Which was started by I don't know, maybe UP. Of course, did it famously. Sixty thousand crore was waived off. Thirty-six. Was it only 36? Okay, right. I, I thought the, I, I've seen some posters where they said 60,000 crores, UP. Okay, 36,000 crores. And now Maharashtra has... No, I'm talking of UPA, not UP. U UPA. UPA. Yeah. They did 70,000 crores. 70,000, yeah. Uh -huh. 70,000 crores. And then UP, Maharashtra, Chhattisgarh, Rajasthan is going to follow suit. Okay. Punjab. Punjab, right. So this is going, in fact, there's a report that says it's going to set the government back by 2.5 lakh crores. It's possible, yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, now, of course, they're going to do it. They cannot not do it because they want to win. The diabolical question which I want your answer is that, of course, people will sooner or later realize that, look, there's no point hankering or asking for reservations in public sector jobs. We demand reservations in private sector jobs. So A, are you for it? And B, um, do you think that's viable? No, I mean, I, I, I would say, say, I mean, I'm not for reservation in any for, form. No, no. In any form? No. Like Arun Shori then? Yes, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think. I mean, uh, there are other ways through which, you know, uh, this needs to be tackled, but reservation is not really the way to go about it. But let me put to you that 65% of the private sector economy is actually manufacturing. So if the objective, original objective of uh, Dr. Ambedkar was that we have to, you know, lift up the, uh, the, the, the class that was actually discriminated against, and if we want, uh, you know, that section of society to improve monetarily or living standards, then don't you think public sector employment for a limited period, sorry, private sector jobs for limited reservations actually makes much more sense. Yo, but see, the point again is, uh, you know, when Ambedkar originally envisaged it, uh, he also he said limited, it for yeah, limited, limited, period period limited of time. sort of, course, of never. Uh, never yeah. Yeah. No politician uh -huh. has the courage to say so, we're going so, to have. So for which will I mean, if if ever private sector reservation happens, it'll go along uh, similar lines. And I mean, it's but how too, soon a politician would come along and say, "Well, let's do it." So if you so, uh, the, I, I do not good, personally, the, I do not foresee an objection to that so from a, the political class. So a good analogy to this, a good example, you know, sort of simple, uh, similar example would be. Uh, you know, politicians in Karnataka are now already talking about labor unions in IT companies. Right. So sooner rather than later, this will also get uh, picked up. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, what what will happen is, uh, you know, I think how the private companies will tackle it at some level is by sort of uh, trying to show, and at least in manufacturing, it would be true uh, to some extent that they already are employing people, uh, you know, from you know in the reserved uh, right. section of the society. Mm -hmm. So I mean, this is not a, I mean, this is a debate we should be having some other day and some right. other time. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, you also briefly mentioned about the uh, devastating impact of black money yeah. on the economy. How, uh, why have you tied it to the big government, if I may ask? Because that's something that, uh, I mean, I, I did not understand how, you know, big... Uh, so, see, what, what happens is, you know, when... when uh, so, one of, one of the, you know... Are you, are you talking about crony capitalism? Are you talking about... Uh, no, what, what I'm basically... Why I tied it to big government was primarily because, you know, when uh, black money gets generated, tax does not get paid. Mm -hmm. And when tax does not get paid, uh, by a certain section of the society, uh, the government ends up taxing the section of the society which pays taxes uh, at a higher rate, okay? Or they come up with uh, you know other ways of uh, sort of taxing people. I mean, look at service tax. Mm -hmm. When it was introduced, it was at four percent. Now it is at fifteen percent. With GST, it'll be at eighteen percent. Right. So uh, you know, when a certain section of the society does not uh, pay tax, uh, the government needs to tax people who are already paying tax. So that was my which is uh, the middle class, uh, which is the middle class. So that was why I linked it to the big government. And also, you know, you need to remember that you know in in, in the seventies and the, you know in the sixties, tax rates were very very high. Uh, this this great story about J R D Tata, who uh, you know during you know one particular uh, I think in the mid seventies, when the uh, the highest rate of income tax was ninety seven point seven five percent. Yes. And there was wealth tax. So you know he. His entire income went towards paying taxes, and then he had to sell some assets every year mm -hmm. to sort of pay, you know, the remaining taxes. 
So that was why I included that in, in, in big government. You know, because the tax rates were so high, you know, once upon a time, a large section of the population developed this habit of not paying taxes. And they continue to do uh, so, you know, despite uh, the many efforts on part of the government. So, yeah. So it's about 3%, 2, 2.5% of... Uh, uh -huh, I mean, 3 to 5% is... People who pay taxes, yeah. Now, there's one, sorry, last couple of questions. Um, one thing that we haven't discussed at all, as you would have guessed, uh -huh. was the public sector banks. Huh. <laughs> Which are now insisting on Aadhaar card. Which are now, in fact, yes, they are now <laughs> insisting on... And if, if I may say so, my bank account has been closed because I did not provide the Aadhaar card. So... Um, yeah, that's that. Um, where do we go from here? I mean, this is a disaster. So it's getting, and the tragedy is... I mean, is, if you look at the NPAs, they're actually shooting up more than... Yeah, and now, you know, up until now, it was only the chronic capitalists. Now we have, uh, you know, telecom debt. Yes. Which can go bad because, you know, suddenly you have this one, uh, you know, new player yeah. who has really... Uh, Geo. who's really shattered uh, the business model. In fact, Andy Mukherjee's piece of yesterday was talking of... Uh, Four lakh crores. Okay, I mean, I didn't read yeah. it. So, so, so uh, yeah, I mean, so you, you have this new, uh, you know, the telecom, uh, you know, debt also, the chances of it not being uh, repaid. So, so, this is a huge, huge. Vivek, it was an absolute pleasure talking to you. And Thank the final you. question is do you foresee a sequel? Uh -huh. uh, to your or uh, you know the, the part two of your book, which would be thinner than this. Do you see any improvement <laughs> in the? So I mean I don't know. I mean I might write. Uh, I don't think I'll write a sequel to this because it'll get too uh, boring for me to uh, write. And and the problem is that you know this book is so number driven that uh, you know if I were to write a sequel, I would have to look up for all those numbers all over again. <laughs> right. Which is not a... Uh, don't do uh, I don't want to do that, so yeah. Anyway, a pleasure talking to you, Vivek. Same, yeah, Anand, mean, thank, you. thank you. Thank you so much. So I hope you enjoyed this interview with Vivek Kaul. Uh, remember, when the public pays, the public is served, and when the corporations pay, the corporations are served. Therefore, pay to keep news free. Thank you. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes, and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And subscribe to our YouTube channel.